I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. I've sort of always known that I wanted to be two things. One is a writer and one is a mom. I have been with my now husband um, for what feels like forever. Um, I met him when I was 23. That was like 15 years ago. Um, We waited a long time to get married. But we, you know, I say we started trying, but we didn't even really start trying. We just, you know, started like not not, not being careful not, right. to put it bluntly. Yeah. <laughs> um, and got pregnant right away, like a month after we got married. Um, wow. and I miscarried and then mm. miscarried again and then miscarried again. Um, and after the third time was told, like typically, um, the recommendation is to do IVF because when there are unexplained reasons, um, the mm. likelihood is that it's, you know, something wrong genetically with the embryo or the fetus. So we went down that path um, and did five rounds of IVF and then did a transfer once we felt like we had, um, you know, we were comfortable with the number of um, genetically tested and, you know, normal embryos. Um, And then I got pregnant on the first transfer um, and that turned into my son who I had 17 months ago. I'm Bridget Garsh, co-founder of Neighbor Schools and your host for Work Like a Mother, a podcast dedicated to real conversations with incredible women juggling work, life, and motherhood. Today, I'm excited to sit down with Zoe Ruderman, editor for People Digital. Ever since about seventh grade, I had this strong fear of getting pregnant when I wasn't ready to be a mom yet. You see, growing up, I went to a Catholic elementary school and our sex ed class really had two parts. Part one was an hour long video where anytime the word condom was mentioned or implied, the teacher would hit fast forward. Part two was a lecture about the importance of abstinence and waiting until marriage. Needless to say, questions were not encouraged. And I definitely walked away thinking the chances of getting pregnant Anytime you had sex, were sky high. So when I finally decided to try and get pregnant in my mid-30s, it made the disappointment that much harder because I'd spent two decades thinking getting pregnant would be easy for me, and it wasn't. I had never really stopped to think about why I thought it would be so easy to get pregnant until I talked to Zoe. She and I had just listened to what society had told us for so, so long. This was just one of the many things I realized during my chat with Zoe about fertility and each mama's unique journey to parenthood. Zoe Ruderman, editor of People Digital, was excited to quickly get pregnant after she and her husband decided to start a family. However, that elation was short-lived when Zoe had her first miscarriage. Zoe and her husband endured repeated miscarriages and were eventually advised to try IVF to conceive. Though Zoe never lost faith that she would one day get pregnant and have a family, she kept her IVF journey private to protect herself from needing to spend the emotional energy to explain her journey to others. Inspired by her own path to parenthood, Zoe launched the podcast, Me Becoming Mom. The mission of the podcast is to destigmatize the many paths to parenthood. She wants people to hear the stories of celebrities to normalize the many ways that people can start families. 
Welcome. I'm so excited to be talking with you today. Yeah, I'm really happy to be here. I'm a fan of the podcast. I listened to the Emily Oster episode pretty recently. I'm a big fan of hers and everything she talks about. I know. I love her newsletters, especially during COVID too. She's just the minute new information comes out, it's like she's anticipating all the parents are going to have questions about this and is getting you information like that. She was one of the few pregnancy like preparation books that I actually read back to front. And my husband also read it. And I found it like, I just do really well with like straightforward information. I can Mm -hmm. process that well, even if it's a little bit scary. Um, So yeah, I'm just a fan of how she presents information and data. Right. And instead of having you giving you recommendations, yeah, just giving you empowering you to make the decision for yourself. I felt like I carried it around as a little reference guide, like, oh yes, okay, what is what does she say about yeah. this? Yeah. And I mean, it sounds like you had a baby in the height of COVID, as did I. You were probably like right at the beginning of the lockdown when you had your baby. I was. He was born April 2020, my my youngest. So it was still a very uncertain time. The hospital was figuring out all sorts of protocols on a daily basis. It was, is my husband going to be able to right. come in or not? Um, so you, your baby was was born born beginning of June. Okay. So that was like, they had figured a few things out and I'm in New York. And for a while, New York state said no partners, no one allowed in there. That only lasted for like two weeks. So I have one acquaintance who fell within that two weeks and her husband dropped her off, came back and picked her up with the baby. But I'm very thankful and grateful that 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 mandate was changed. So my husband was able to be there, but yeah, I mean, going back to Emily Hoster, like even just reading her information about pregnancy and COVID and then, you know, when vaccines were available, you know, all of that, it's just, she's incredibly helpful. So yeah, I appreciate straightforward. Well, I want to rewind a little bit. So we're, we're at the moment where you're having your baby, but yeah, bringing you up to that point, what did that decision-making process look like around having a child? What, what are all the things that went through your mind and your journey to, to bring that baby into the world and, and remind me, what is his name? His name is Rio. Rio. Coming up on 17 months old. Yeah. So um, I've always known that I wanted to be a mom. I've sort of always known that I wanted to be two things. One is a writer and one is a mom. Um, And, you know, I'm very fortunate that in my role as head of digital for people, I get to, um, you know, call myself a writer, although I don't do a whole lot of like putting pen to paper anymore, but I get to live in that world and work in that world. Um, And I've known that I wanted to have a baby or maybe multiple babies. Um, I have been with my now husband um, for what feels like forever. Um, I met him when I was 23. That was like 15 years ago. Um, We waited a long time to get married, um, sort of because I felt like the reason to get married is like then to start a family. And I felt like we're living together. We have shared finances. We do everything a married couple would do. I don't really feel like planning a wedding. So it was kind of like, all right, now we're ready for the next stage. And that prompted us to get married. Um, although I should say nothing wrong with not being married and having kids. I have plenty of friends who do that too. Um, yeah. And you know, he comes from a family of, he has four brothers, so it's five boys. I'm an only child. We knew we wanted to fall somewhere in the middle, one to five kids, um, 
probably on the lower end of that. I don't think I need to like raise a basketball team. Yeah, (laughs) quite a range. I don't know how his mom did it. And they all fall within like, I think it's like eight years. So she was a busy working mom. I don't think I have it in me to do that. Um, But we, you know, I say we started trying, but we didn't even really start trying. We just, you know, started like not not Not, being careful to put it bluntly. Yeah. (laughs) Um, and got pregnant right away, like a month after we got married. Um, and I miscarried and then Mm. miscarried again and then miscarried again. Um, and after the third time was told like, typically, um, the recommendation is to do IVF because when there are unexplained reasons, um, the -hmm. likelihood is that it's, you know, something wrong genetically with, the embryo or the fetus. So we went down that path um, and did five rounds of IVF and then did a transfer once we felt like we had, um, you know, we were comfortable with the number of um, genetically tested and, you know, normal embryos. Um, And then I got pregnant on the first transfer um, and that turned into my son who I had 17 months ago. Wow. What a journey. Um, can you share a little bit more around what you were thinking and feeling throughout that, that whole journey? Cause I, it sounds like it, it really took quite a long time. It did. You know, I never had thought about how long it might take. I'd never felt pressured. I'd never thought about my biological clock. That's probably a mistake, um, for someone in their thirties, but, um, I, I was shocked at first, you know, I, now I know because I've had this conversation and I've done the research and of course I'm doing this podcast now, miscarriages are incredibly common. Recurrent loss, well, less common is something that happens. Um, IVF is increasingly common, especially in areas like New York city where I live. Um, but it was all very new to me and felt like, um, even though logically I knew I'm not the only person going through this, I felt like I am the only person in the world going through this. Um, that said, I never felt like this might not work out for us. I don't know why. And it's not like I decided to feel that way. But when I look back at those couple of years, I never felt like, oh, we might not become parents. I never even felt like I might not carry a child. Um, It just sort of, I felt, I would say we're both, my husband and I are both sort of like action oriented people. Um, and like I said, we do well with information. So it was like, okay, here's the next step. This is what we're doing now. Um, and I should add, I'm incredibly fortunate that I have the health insurance and the privilege and live in a place that allowed me to take all of these steps. That's not available to everyone. I'm fortunate that I work for a company that offers benefits in this space. Um, so I, I thought about that a lot and I had friends going through it who, did not have all of those resources and had to make tough financial decisions about choosing between say another round or, you know, just being able to pay bills and a mortgage and all of that. So I I felt grateful through all of it that we could decide we wanted to do something and then do it. It was, um, it was shitty to have to go through those things. And I certainly did not feel fortunate, but I felt like, okay, I can, go to the best OBGYN in the city. I can go to the best IVF doctor. I can, you know, I can take off a few hours from work to do the procedure. Like all of these things that are not available to every woman. I was very, very aware of that and felt lucky. 
I think one of the most surprising things that you touched on too, is just how common fertility challenges are miscarriages. I don't know why it's so ingrained in our minds that this is going to be easy, like in some ways, and that this path is going to be, you know, straightforward because the more I know when we were going through fertility, we also just felt like, is this something we can talk about? Like you, you just never know what each individual couple's state is at that moment. And so you also want to be very sensitive and careful. Um, Yeah. I think a lot of these topics are still, you, they seem taboo. Obviously I don't believe that they are. I never believed that they are, but you do think, well, I don't have any friends who have talked about this. So I guess no one's gone through it. Of course, that's not the case. People have different levels of privacy. And while I was going through it until I had my son, I did not talk about it with really hardly anyone. I may certainly didn't tell work what was going on. There was a very small group of friends I spoke to. Um, You know, some of my family knew, not all of my family. I just felt for me, it was enough to have to manage my own emotions. Mm -hmm. I did not want to have to manage someone else's. And I remember someone, I think it was a work saying like, oh, you know, I don't know why people wait so long to tell because I waited. I think I was like, 22 or 23 or maybe more further along with Rio when I told work and someone was like, Oh, I don't know why people wait. And I thought like, I just wanted to know that I was Mm -hmm. as far along as possible. And, you know, she didn't really understand the idea of like, Oh, if I miscarried, it wasn't that like I was embarrassed or I I wasn't ashamed, even though those are real feelings that women feel. I just didn't want to have to manage the conversation over and over again of like, you actually end up comforting the person you're telling as strange as that seems and sort of saying like, but don't worry, I'm not in this dark hole. I'm I'm still functioning. I'm still here at work. So um, for me, it was easier just to sort of, or it is easier to talk about it um, like in retrospect, as opposed to kind of in the moment. What would you say for, to, to somebody who might be going through their own journey right now? It's funny. I ask almost word for word that exact question of the guests on my podcast when they, you know, they've gone through all various struggles and winding roads to motherhood. And I ask it knowing that I don't really have a great answer because I know that everyone processes it so differently. What I wouldn't say is like, it's all going to be okay. I got a lot of um, well-intentioned, although some not so well-intentioned, but mostly well-intentioned and not great advice. And I felt like, Um, I don't know what I would say to someone is like, you do what's best for you. You will know what that is. Maybe you don't know right now. You'll know when you're done trying X, Y, and Z methods. You'll know when you're ready to move on to X, Y, and Z. Um, but you are the person to decide despite all of the experts out there. They are there for information. Mm -hmm. Certainly go to friends, talk to people who have been through this, but, um, there are a lot of people who want to solve the issue for you. And I think um, it really, it's in your hands as the person going through it or you and your partner um, or you as a solo, um, you know, future mother. But it's really hard for me to say like, this is my advice besides just kind of listening to your body and listening to yourself and trusting that like, even if you don't believe that you do have a gut instinct and it will tell you when it needs to tell you something. I think that's really smart advice. And it's so hard to 
believe that you will know, but as I'm hearing you say that in retrospect, you're spot on. Like we knew we're done just trying on our own, right? We are done. We were at the point where we, we wanted the data. We wanted the information. We needed it. And for some, for us, that was, you know, a a relatively long time. And for other people that might be a shorter time and and no idea, but you, your body and your, your, your emotions and your mind are going to tell you and help guide the way. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. So tell me, we've now talked a little bit tangentially about the podcast, but tell me all about me becoming mom. Congratulations on launching. Very exciting. Uh, and, and what's the goal and the, the mission of the podcast? Yeah. So the goal of this is to destigmatize um, a lot of the conversations and the topics around the various roads to motherhood. So as you know, as I know, as a lot of women know, it's rarely a straight line. And just as you said, I think whether it's like the sex education we receive or the unofficial sex education we receive, you think like, I have unprotected sex. I probably get pregnant. I have a nine month pregnancy. I have a baby. And that's like, generally it doesn't veer from that path. That is certainly not the case. Um, And I think that because these things are not talked about until you're going through them or until you have a very close friend or family member going through them, things like IVF, surrogacy, you know, early loss, late loss, um, uh, adoption, these things are just because they're not the quote unquote typical roads to motherhood. It's seen as not as normal. Mm -hmm. Um, or people feel like I don't have a community. Like I said, when we started this conversation, I sort of had these recurring feelings of like, well, I'm, I'm really the only person going through this. Like, I know that, you know, if I use my rational brain, there are other people, but like, not really, this is unique to me. And, you know, the more conversations I had as I was going through it, the more I felt like I had a community. Um, and not in the sense that I like had to join a Facebook group and go to an in-person meeting and talk to people. I didn't feel the need to do those things though. It's great for some people. Um, but just the idea of other people go through this. And so, you know, parenting is a really, really big topic for us at People. Um, we have an entire vertical dedicated to it in the magazine, on the website. We know that um, moms, both real moms and celebrities come to us to kind of find these communities. And so we started to have conversations about launching a podcast in this space and very quickly um, narrowed in on this idea of not a parenting podcast about like how you do it or advice, but sort of a podcast that ends once you have that baby. Um, Like it's kind of that, you know, everyone talks about like the fourth trimester. This is like the many trimesters before you even get to the first trimester. So, um, you know, we knew we wanted to talk to incredible women, celebrities um, who could sort of represent these various groups. And we really, um, we were very thoughtful and mindful about booking celebrities who represent these different groups. So the first episode was with Hoda Kotb, who talks about, you know, she went through cancer treatments that left her unable to carry a baby. And she sort of convinced herself, like, I'm just, I'm a great aunt. I, you know, I have this great career. I do these other things. I don't need to be a mom. And then had this like realization on a street corner in New York city, walking with her friend where she was like, no, I'm not okay with this. I, I want to be more, I want to be a mom. Um, I spoke to Candy Burris, the real housewife of Atlanta. That was the episode last week who talked about, um, she became a mom, um, when she was young with what I called like lower intervention ways, meaning mm-hmm. like 
she had sex, she got pregnant, she wasn't trying. Um, then she became a stepmom and then she became a mom through IVF. And then she became a mom through IVF um, via surrogacy. And she talked about how, especially in the black community, surrogacy is still sort of, um, it's, it's taboo. Um, the idea of like, how will you ever connect? How will you bond with your baby? And she talked about actually a, a family member who came to her saying like, aren't you worried? Um, so I think it's important to remember that like, even though these conversa conversations are happening in pockets, there's still a lot of stigma and people still feel um, a little bit ashamed or kind of guilty that they had to go down these paths. So our big goal is to like crack open these conversations. Um, also just to sort of create entertaining content, you know, like it's always interesting to hear about a celebrity talk about this aspect of their lives. And what mm -hmm. I found is that, you know, when they're not talking about promoting a project or something they're working on, it's like, we couldn't get them off the phone. It was like, you know, we promise we'll be done within an hour. And then it's like an hour and a half. And they're like, I just love talking about my kids. You know, I spoke to Sean Johnson East, the Olympic gymnast. Um, and at the end I thanked her and she was like, are you kidding? Thank you. You just asked me to talk about my kids. Like this is the greatest topic ever. So it's been really just the reception has been wonderful, both from the talent and from the listeners. Wow. It's really exciting. And I, I, I can relate so much in terms of the stigma and the inspiration to share those stories. It's so similar to our inspiration for work like a mother yeah. and really highlighting the, the joys, the challenges that uh, moms face juggling work, life, motherhood, all of it that comes along with it. When you think back to when you first went back to work, what did that process look like? How did, how did your transition go? It was wild. I still have not gone back to an office since being on maternity leave. So I have gone back to work, but you know, I, I was used to the kind of work where you go in every weekday, a set schedule. I did my commute. I can't, it sounds so silly, but I cannot believe that in normal times, women end their maternity leave or dads end their paternity leave and they go back to an office. Like I am so fortunate that I bring my son to daycare. I walk back, I open my laptop and I start my day. And then at the end of the day, it's like, you know, I can sign on, um, you know, after he goes to bed, I could end my day a little bit early. There's a level of flexibility that I just, I wouldn't have if I had gone back to an office. So in that sense, my transition, it felt like baby steps. So mm. I took five months off, which again, like I'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do that. My husband took four months. Um, I had an emergency C-section. I had a really rough recovery as I think most women who have emergency C-sections have. I just cannot imagine having to work after a week, two weeks, or having to do mat leave on my own, which mm -hmm. is pretty um, you know, typical for women who even get mat leave. Um, but yeah, the idea of like going back to the office, quote unquote, is like me coming to my kitchen table and I can like see all my son's toys behind my laptop. And, you know, if he's homesick from daycare, I'm like, I'll make it work. I'll schedule meetings when he's napping um, or he will sit in on my meetings and be the entertainment. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I just, you know, even as I think about like going back to an office now, you know, 16, 17 months after I gave birth to him, I'm like just starting to wrap my head around that idea. But it's, it's wild to me that, that women have been doing this for years. And I was lucky enough not to have to make that big transition. It's funny hearing you say that because I've lived both experiences. Right. Yeah. I went back with my first when he was 12 weeks. I was fortunate to be able to take the time 
Um, but it's also interesting what you said about, you know, my maternity leave experiences were just so different because my husband had two weeks paternity leave and he then he was back in an office commuting yeah. every day. And I remember um, my oldest is a November baby. I remember feeling so alone and isolated yep. and it it was winter in Boston. We have one car. Like I just felt like I could, I didn't know where I could go or what I could do. Fast it's forward. Isolating. Oh, yeah. exactly. And then fast forward to this experience where even, even though he was working to still be able to say, can you hold the baby? I have to go to the bathroom. Exactly. Or, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I think of all these things that I grappled with the first time that I didn't have to face the the second time and just feeling that human presence, even if you're not talking to that other person the whole time that yeah. you're not alone. There are other yes, people absolutely. Here. And it just makes me, you know, think even more about the legislation that they are trying to push through for, you know, paid family leave for everyone. And just thinking about, you know, the women and the men who don't get to have mm-hmm. this and how, difficult bordering on traumatizing that would have been for me and for my husband. So yeah, incredibly important for everyone to have that. And now that you are, have been doing this for some time, so you're coming up, you're about a year into the the juggle. Yep. How's it going? How do you make it work on a daily basis? What is it, what does it actually look like? Like behind the scenes, so to speak? Yeah. Um, it works because we have a great daycare. Um, I feel so, so lucky that we found this place. Um, it's nearby. My husband and I are both working from home. So most mornings, um, I feel like I will get a lot of um, hate if I admit this, but I'm going to admit it. My son sleeps till 8 a.m. Um, so yeah, you can that's decide cruel. if you want to cut that out. Will no, I get a bunch of like, haters? Like, since I told you I was up for three hours. No, I'm just kidding. I know, that's, I know. That's amazing. I, I hesitated in saying it, but you asked for the behind the scenes yes. details. So no, no. we also put him to bed later. So that's part of it too. Um, so we get him up at 8 a.m. We get him fed. We get ourselves ready. Um, I will say like, I don't even brush my hair. I don't even think about my outfit. Sometimes I don't even brush my teeth. Sorry to admit that. We put him in a stroller. We both walk him to daycare. Sometimes we like get a coffee. For me, having that like moment of a commute is really nice. I found that when I was still working and pregnant and we were in lockdown, not having that like transition from rolling out of bed to getting in front of a laptop was jarring. And what felt um, convenient and extra productive ended up actually feeling like this is like, I need some sort of division. So having that walk to daycare, getting a coffee, sort of decompressing with my husband, that's really nice. We drop him off. Um, we still cannot go inside the daycare. So, you know, there's a handoff, but we've gotten used to that. Um, and then we both come back. Um, I have my first morning meeting every day at 9.30, followed by a meeting at 9.45, followed by like usually a slew of meetings all the way until like 5.30-ish. Um, and then we go back and we pick him up and do like the evening routine with him and then get him in bed at eight o'clock. So it's, um, it's really nice being able to 
do things sort of on my own time throughout the day, I think I get more work done in this environment because, you know, it's like, okay, I have 15 minutes between meetings. I need to like do some meal prep or I have to do his laundry. I have to clean up. Those are all things that of course I couldn't do if I were going into an office. And on the flip side, I don't feel resentful of like opening up my laptop at 8.30 after he's gone to bed Mm -hmm. being like, let me just do a few emails that I didn't get to today. So the flexibility has been really nice. Um, And, you know, if you have kids in daycare, you know that like um, they bring home every germ. So he had his fair share of sick days. He's had hand, foot and mouth twice, which I think is some kind of record for, you know, a one-year-old. Did you get it? Did you get it? I did not get it. I was spared, thankfully. Um, But yes, I heard the stories about like, you know, wash your hands really carefully. You're probably going to get it. Um, And then of course, because of COVID, anytime they have like a tiny fever or a sniffle, it's like 72 hours. You have to get a COVID test, all that. Um, So we've had our fair share of days with him at home. Um, Mm -hmm. But again, you know, you just, you make it work. You're kind of forced to. And I'm I'm fortunate also that like my manager and the company I work for has, it's, it's mostly moms or it's a lot of moms and mostly women who work at the company. So there's no choice, but to be flexible. Um, so it's, it's been nice. It's been really nice. Yeah. It's been interesting to think about, you know, what are the, what are the things we want to keep as the pandemic you exactly. know, goes away and what are the, what are the things that we've enjoyed? And, and I couldn't agree with you more. Like we, we eat dinner at 5.30 or 5.45 and that would never happen previously. Right, yeah. We would be commuting. We wouldn't even get home until, you know, 6.30, 6.45, so. Right, just more hours a day with your kids is such a new thing, yeah. Exactly. So if you think back to before you had kids or your son, I should say, what advice would you give to your pre-mom self? your time won't be your time ever again. Certainly when he's at daycare, you know, but I'm at work during that time. So, you know, sometimes I walk around our neighborhood in Brooklyn Heights and I see um, a couple or someone walking by themselves and they're like walking into a bookstore or walking to brunch. And I'm like, what would that be like not to plan to do that? And it's Mm -hmm. still, it's just a different kind of wonderful now. Like we bring my son or, you know, my parents watch him and we go solo, but nothing is just like you wake up on a Saturday and it's like, what's today going to be? Like, I know what today is going to be because I know, you know, to some extent, like when he's going to nap and when this has to happen. So, um, I don't know, enjoying that kind of freedom, but that's like the kind of advice that you can never take until you know the other side of it too. Um, yeah, I would, I would tell myself like, don't buy a whole bunch of baby crap when you're pregnant because you're probably not going to need most of it. Wait and see what you need. Don't register for a ton of stuff. Um, Yeah, I think those are the pieces of advice. Well, thank you so much for taking some time to share your journey with me today and to share more about the podcast. I'm really, really excited about it. Thank you so much. This was wonderful. Work Like a Mother is produced by Neighbor Schools. Neighbor Schools is a startup in Boston that I co-founded in 2018 to help parents find daycare. As a first-time parent, finding childcare can feel scary and intimidating. At Neighbor Schools, we help you find daycare you'll feel really good about so you can go back to work with the peace of mind that your little one is getting the socialization, support, 
and stimulation they need to learn and grow. We've helped thousands of moms and dads figure out the daycare search. Check us out at neighborschools.com. And when you get in touch, mention that you discovered us on the podcast. Thanks for joining me today. We'll see you next time.